Amen. Well, what a delight and honor it is to be gathered here with God's people. I got up early this morning and, and decided to, uh, every Sunday morning, I usually get up and, uh, pretty early before the family wakes up. It's still dark outside. It's just a good time to get it in with the Lord. And this morning I got up and was going down the stairs, and as I was going down the stairs, I was thinking about uh, Psalms 100, verse 2, uh, where it says, Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with singing. That's what we come to do. And there's a few ways we worship Jesus in this place. We do it through the, the worship of, of, of song. And so, you know, the, you know, oftentimes we think of worship, we just think song, and that's the end of our worship. Uh, but we do it through worship, we do it through communion, we do it through our, our giving, our gospel-centered giving, uh, and then we do it through the preach word of God. Speaking of the preach word of God, why don't you grab your Bibles or your devices and meet me at Acts 13. Acts 13 is where we will spend our time today. As you turn there, Chris and Tashina had the baby. Amen. Little Ava Akinrenade. Amen. So y'all, y'all keep them in prayer. Uh, Mama is doing well as she recovers. Y'all make sure y'all praying for her. Uh, Chris is doing well. His nerves were all over the place this week. And so it's good to, to hear from them and see that they are doing well. So continue to lift them up and keep them in prayer. Well, it is Vision Sunday. Uh, those of you who've never been to our Vision Sunday, uh, one of the things we like to do with Vision Sunday is look back in retrospect of 2017 and all, of the, all that the Lord has done through his faithfulness. Uh, and then we try to push ahead to 2018 to some of the things that we think that the Lord is, uh, is pressing on our heart as a church. And so uh, we'll do that this morning. But as I've always told you, we are committed to the word of God. And so we'll never jump right in and just start with vision. We're always going to spend some time in the word of God. And so uh, Acts 13 is where we're going to do that at. Why don't you pick me up in verse 1, verse 1, Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. You should underline these five leaders in the Antioch church. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Don't have a a really deep topic today beyond uh, Vision Sunday. That's what we're going to be talking about. Let us look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you for the work that you did at the church at Antioch. We thank you that that work over 2,000 years ago still impacts us in this room today. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here as it was at the Antioch Church, so much so that you decided that you would audibly speak in the middle of service. Lord, I pray that you would speak to this room today. Lord, the way you speak to this room is through your word. And so, Lord, as we take our time to engage in these three verses, Holy Spirit, move upon the hearts individually of your people, but also corporately as a church. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. May he be Uh, May he be seen, may he be proclaimed, and ultimately, may that lead us to worshiping your son, Jesus. It is in his name, in his name alone, we pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Vision Sunday. Outbreak, World War Z, and I Am Legend are are all movies that have the same type of theme to them. And the theme is all of those movies are, are typically pointing us to some type of outbreak that started at some point, but it's threatening to take out all of human uh, all of humankind. And when you think about those movies, there, there's typically one scene that always happens in every outbreak movie. And that one scene is when all the generals and the politicians and the scientists are all gathered in a room. And there's one specific guy. He's normally the smartest guy in the room and he has the remote. And everybody in the room is looking at this big screen with a map on it. And, and the guy with the remote is clicking through the map. And what he's showing us is he's pinpointing where the virus started. And then he clicks like a time lapse. He clicks it, and then you see two hours later, and you see it spreads. Then he clicks it again. You see eight hours later, and then it spreads. Then he clicks it again, 24 hours, and then it spreads a little bit more. You see the red starting to spread from one specific spot or one location. And then finally, he clicks it again, and you see the entire map is red. Well, our text today serves as that smart guy that has the remote. And what he's pinpointing is not a virus, but he's pinpointing where the gospel started. Gospel started in Jerusalem. What did Jesus say in Jerusalem? Stay here and you'll you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. 
I would argue that we are sitting in this room as a continuation of what the Lord was doing, not only in Jerusalem, but in our text in Antioch Church. What do I mean by that? I hardly think that we would sit in this room if God wasn't using men like Barnabas and Paul to plant churches, to spread the gospel in a region that is far from here, but it spreads so much. It's like that guy that's clicking the time lapse. And here's what I would argue, that the gospel is still spreading. And how do I know that? Because there are still lost people that are in need, desperate need of salvation. And so our text is going to services that. And what we're going to see is Antioch Church is a healthy church. And there's, there, there's a lot of health to the church for a few reasons. You see the Holy Spirit moving. You see good leadership in the church. You see that they are multiplying by sending out leaders in order to start other ministries. Instead of me just talking through the text, let's read through it and work through it together. And then I will point us to our 2018 vision. Verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. If you're familiar at all with your Bible, one of the things you'll pick up and note is that Antioch is the place where the disciples were first called Christians. If you want to pinpoint where this term Christian came from, you've got to look at the Antioch church. Again, there was a lot of health there, but don't just note that this is the place where Christians were first, or disciples were first called Christians. Also note that this church at Antioch has strong leadership. How do I know they have strong leadership? They not only have strong leadership, but they have strong leadership that is filling vital roles in the church, such as prophet and teachers, both ways that the Lord speaks to the church. And, And let me just point out to you the importance of having strong, godly leaders over the church. It's so important. But don't just pick up that they are strong, gifted leaders, but note the giftings within the church. They are gifted to be able to fill roles like prophet and teacher. Further affirmation that these leaders are strong, gifted leaders can be found in the fact that later on in verse number three, we're going to see Paul and Barnabas sent out to do the work. And here's what's interesting. As they are sent out to do the work of the Lord, they're such strong leaders, but the church at Antioch doesn't fall apart because two good leaders left. Why does the church not fall apart? Because they still got three leaders that are there that are gifted leaders. And make no mistake about it, like few people are, are like New Testament heroes like Paul. Like you have the rest of the New Testament because Paul is sent out from the Antioch church. What you see here is a plurality of leaders that are providing oversight and direction and teaching and prophecy within the early church. And our church holds to this idea of a plurality of leaders or a plurality of elders. What we would say is one guy making all the decisions is not healthy. You need a plethora plethora of, that was a bad word, plethora, (laughs) plethora of leaders that are all devoted to the work of the Lord and devoted to the people that are that make up the church. And I, I know you're sitting there going, Pastor, you've been saying that for a few years now and you're still the only leader at the church. I can promise you that we are moving towards uh, what we would call a plurality of leader, leaders or a plurality of elders. Nothing's worse than a church that has selfish pastors, self-absorbed leaders, gospelless leaders, unbiblical leaders. We need leadership in the church like the Antioch church had, gifted leaders. But it's important that you don't just note that these leaders are gifted. It's important that you note that they're not just strong leaders. But I I really want to point you this morning or this afternoon to the diversity within the leadership. Look back at it with me. I'm going to walk through each one of them, and, and I want you to pick up their diversity First leader that is mentioned is Barnabas. According to Acts chapter 4, verse number 3, we'll see that that Barnabas is a Levite from Cyprus and that he is a devout Jew. So the first leader we're we're shown is a guy that is a Jewish leader. Okay, the second person that we see, Simeon called Niger. Niger literally means black. And so what we see here is a a dark-skinned man, possibly from Africa. In fact, when I was reading commentaries on Uh, This guy, Simeon, called Niger. Most commentators have suggested that Simeon called called Niger is Simeon of Cyrene. Stay with me. Simeon of Cyrene is the one when Jesus was carrying the cross on the Via Della Rosa. Remember, somebody else had to come in and pick up the cross for Jesus. The Bible says that's Simeon of Cyrene. Would you note 
that the man that picked up the cross for Jesus was from Cyrene. Can, I, can, I, can we stay there for a second? Cyrene is a city within Libya, which is the northern part of Africa. Can you, can you help me uh, appreciate the text here? That we have a Jewish leader and possibly an African that is leading the Antioch church. Simeon called Niger. Now, let, let me just also say that that is not 100% confirmed. We do not know if this is the same Simeon of Cyrene that picked up the cross, but here's what we do know. Simeon called Niger was a dark-skinned and possibly an African. Let's keep going because the text does affirm that there is at least one African on the, at the leadership table of Antioch. Lucius of Cyrene. Again, Cyrene sat right off the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a, part of Li- uh, was a part of Libya. And so what we see so far in the text is at least two leaders in the church would, would be what we call in the United States as minorities. But they were leaders in the church, along with Barnabas, who was a devout Jew. Who else is there? Manan. Manan's a little different, more than his ethnicity. I, I want us to pick up his relationship. Look at what the text says. It lets us in on his friendships. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is the same Herod the Tetrarch, which would later become King Herod. If you know anything about King Herod, he is the one that beheaded John the Baptist, who Jesus said John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of a woman. And so you can't get farther away from life goals than Manan, who is a leader at the Antioch church, and King Herod, who was beheading men like John the Baptist. But Manan is a leader at the Antioch church. Lastly, who else do we see here? Saul of Tarsus. He'll later be named Paul. This is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. Here's his resume. Here's his resume to, his, to, to where he is from. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Circumcised on the eighth day. Can we agree that Jews got circumcised on the eighth day? People of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Here it is, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Please note with me the diversity within the early church. You have Barnabas, which was from Cyprus, which was a Jew. You have Simeon called Niger, who was a dark-skinned, possibly African. You have Lucius of Cyrene, who was 100% an African. You have Manan, who has friendships with King Herod. And then you have Saul of Tarsus, who was a highly respected Jew. Notice something in our text. Diversity matters. This is why us sitting in this room as a diverse church is absolutely important. We are not some new phenomenon. This is a biblical norm. If you note that there was diversity in the leadership at the Antioch church, can you imagine the diversity within the church? But let me also point out to you that diversity doesn't come easy. Diversity is messy. Why is it messy? Because we all come with different worldviews. We all come with different upbringings. We all come with different outlooks on and worldviews on life and culture. But I would say that the church is the place that we should be able to work out our racial differences. If the world can't work it out, the church should work it out. And so we should be able to argue and fuss and fight and walk out and be like, let's go get something to eat. Because diversity and what I, what I want to push us against is looking like a, a New York subway cart. Like, I want to push us from having diversity, but nobody on the train is talking to each other. I want to push us to where we actually got relationships, where we're in the life of one another, where we're wrestling hard through issues, cultural issues, but we're being challenged by one another. The diversity and the leadership of the Antioch church was, was very notable. It was very seen. But now that we've seen the diversity and that they are strong leaders, what are they doing in the church? They're not just sitting there. Look back at the text with me. Verse 2, while they were two things, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Antioch church was a godly church that worshiped Jesus, but also fasted to show dependency on the Lord. First, I want to highlight that they are worshiping, and worship is essential to the church. Like, that's why it shouldn't take much for the worship team to come up here and push you and pull you and pump you and prime you. Listen, you should have walked in worshiping. Because worship is essential to the church. If, and you know what makes it easy to worship? When you've been worshiping all week. You just come in and we like, you know, just bring it all together. And we can worship Jesus together. Worship is essential. I love the book uh, by a guy named J- Dr. John Piper. 
Uh, he wrote a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. And in this book, he, he really he, he shows the differences between uh, mission and worship. They're, those are two different things. And he shows how worship outlasts mission because mission at some point will stop. Let me read what he says. He says, mission is not the ultimate goal. That's somebody over there. I love worship right there. It says, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and when the countless of millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, mission will be no more. Can we all agree that we'll, there'll be no need to share the gospel in heaven? Like our harvesters teams will have to set up outside of the, you know, the heavenly gates in order to share the gospel with people. We're all in. We've all trusted Jesus. But here's what will continue. Worship. We'll be worshiping forever. And if you're in this room and you're like, you know what, forever sounds like a long time, but I don't like to worship now, you're going to struggle in heaven. So it's very important that we start to learn what worship is here. Come together and worship the Lord. And the Antioch church understood that. They got that. And so what they said was, we are going to come together and we're going to worship the Lord. But they're not only worshiping, they're fasting. If you're familiar with our church at all, the first full week of the year, every year, since the inception of our church, we spend the first full week of every year fasting. And the reason we do that is because we want to show dependency on the Lord. And, and fasting and worship breeds good ground for the Holy Spirit to move. The text affirms that. How do I know that? Look at what they're doing. They're worshiping and fasting. Verse 2 says, and the Holy Spirit said. I like that. You know why I like that? Because the Holy Spirit, like notice, in, in the text, there were prophets already in the Antioch church. God could have spoke through one of the prophets to the church and said, set Barnabas and Paul apart. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit says, I know you got leadership, but I'm the ultimate leader. I'm going to speak by myself. I'm going to audibly speak in the middle of the church. And can we all agree that what we need as a church is a church that is following the Holy Spirit? Every week I come in here on a Monday, every week when nobody else is here, Gabe comes in a little later and I come in here early and I sneak in and I legitimately pray throughout this. I pray in the kids rooms. I lay out here and I'm pleading with the Holy Spirit to move in our church. Why do I do that? Because, listen, if we're not going to be led by the Holy Spirit, can we shut this thing down? If we're not going to be led by like this space used to be an old curves workout building. If we're not going to be led by the Spirit, can we convert this back into a, you know, put some elliptical machines over here? We can all go to Lululemon and buy some work. Well, not they're too expensive. Go to Target. <laughs> go to Target and get you some workout clothes. And we come in here and we get on the treadmill and let's just work out. But if we're going to be a church, the Holy Spirit got to be supreme. Holy Spirit got to lead this church. Holy Spirit led the Antioch church and they followed they did not. The leaders didn't say, I'm a prophet. I'm going to just speak. No, let me sit back and shut up and let the Holy Spirit lead this church. Let's see what else it says. So the Holy Spirit speaks. But what does he say? Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. I love this for the work in which I have called them. The fact that Barnabas and Paul are, are being set apart to work together blew my mind this week. You know why it blew my mind? Because you can't get two people who had so different upbringings like Barnabas and Paul. Like they are the last people that should work together to further the church. Let me give you just a little background on both of them. Barnabas, Acts chapter 4 tells us this. I love this. Verse 36 to 37. It's a little comical. This is what it says. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. First of all, if you... If your name gets changed from Joseph and the apostles see you and they're like, ah, I know your name, you know, your mama named you Joseph, but I'm going to call you Barnabas. Can we agree that he's in like the apostles like him? He is in. He has his name changed. But further affirmation that he's in can be found in the rest of the text. This is what he does. Barnabas sells a field that belongs to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. He is 100 percent in. And you know how he's in? He's in. I know that he's in because he has property. He sells it. and He doesn't say, let me just distribute it amongst the poor. No, he takes it and he brings it to the church. He says, you distribute it. And so you have one man that is trying to build the church of Jesus Christ with his wealth and his time. But in Jerusalem was also Saul. Let me read Saul's background to you. Acts chapter eight, four chapters later. 
and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, but Saul was uh, ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can we agree you can't get further from life goals than these two? One was building the church with his wealth and with his time. The other one was destroying the church with his prestige and his power. But yet, this is what I love about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, like the Holy Spirit doesn't move and they say, let me set two people aside that are similar. No, you're different. Get together and plant this church. Like, I love that because what that affirms is what I was saying in the beginning of this text, which is it's going to be a little messy because Barnabas and Saul are set apart. Two different people that love Jesus and now get on the same trajectory to building the church. Mine is blown when I read that. Let's finish this here. Verse 3. Now, after they were fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, Barnabas and Paul, and sent them off through the authority of the church. Barnabas and Paul, which I love, like, this is Paul we're talking about, submitted himself to the Antioch church and did not do any ministry until the church said do it. I love that. And, you know, that's how we got planted here. We got planted here because there was five godly elders in our church in Philadelphia that waited to see the Holy Spirit move. Once the Holy Spirit moved, they laid hands on us and sent us out through the authority of the church. And if we don't get Acts 13, I'd argue that we don't get the rest of the New Testament. We just don't. Like this is Paul that is sent out from the Antioch church. And if Paul is not sent out, here's what you don't get. You don't get Romans because he didn't plant a church to write a church. So you don't get Romans. You don't get 1 Corinthians. You don't get 2 Corinthians. You do not get Galatians. You do not get Ephesians. You do not get Philippians. You don't get Colossians. You don't get 1 Thessalonians. You do not get 2 Thessalonians. You do not get 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. You don't get Titus and you probably don't get Hebrews. God set this man apart, and once he went out, he was a gospel monster because he listened to the Holy Spirit, and he submitted himself underneath the church. Here's here's what I know. If you're in this room, and you've trusted Jesus, and you're a part of what we would call the universal church, and you work that out through this local church, you're not here by accident. You're here because Acts 13, God moved. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it reached all the way here and caught your trifling butt. That's what I love about the gospel, that the gospel spread in such a way it's that smart guy sitting with the, with the remote. And he's just clicking, and he's clicking, and he's clicking, and finally he clicks, and then you get saved. Because of Acts 13, over 2,000 years ago, there were faithful men and faithful women that have died to make the message of Jesus Christ available to you. Now, I would say that should push us to make sure that we are sacrificial and sharing the gospel with our non-believing friends, because that is how the gospel spreads. As we transition in in our our time, I want to show us, yes, Acts 13 is why we are here, but I want to show us how this thing continues. And so I want to spend some time walking through what I would say is uh, Vision Sunday. Again, we're going to look back, but we're also going to look forward a little bit. So if you give me some time and put your eyes on the the screens. Uh, I just want to walk us through what what I think the Lord is calling us to. First of all, our mission statement, I think you heard Carlos say it. We exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Two words I want to highlight to you, his mission. Epiphany Church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. And so we are fitting within what the Lord has been doing. And that's so humbling for us because it's so easy for us to say we're some new phenomenon here in Bed-Stuy. You're not God has been working here. He's been working in Brooklyn. He's been working in New York. Very faithful churches that have been doing ministry. And so we get to join Jesus in what he's already been doing. Our core values here at the church, we believe in Christ-centeredness. We believe that Christ is the center of everything we do. We believe in community, and that's biblical community. We, we do not believe that you're, you're saved. Y'all remember the sermon on uh, two or better than one in Ecclesiastes? We do not believe that you are saved and then isolated. No, you're saved and you're baptized into a body. So we believe in community. We believe in commitment, culturally relevant ministry. We're here in Bed-Stuy. So the, the culture of our church has to be relevant to the people that are walking by our church. Culturally relevant ministry we believe in. We believe in conversions. And let me just plant here for a second. 
I do not believe that we are fulfilling the Great Commission if all we're doing is transferring growth from one church to another. We are fulfilling the Great Commission when lost people are found. We are fulfilling the Great Commission when people say, I was not a believer in Jesus, but now I am. And so if we're going to be a church that is faithful to doing ministry here, we got to be a church that is faithful to seeing people meet Jesus, our, our beliefs, the centrality of Jesus. Let me, let me quickly draw this out for you because I think sometimes we can think about the centrality of Jesus and we automatically think that Jesus is first. And I want to draw the distinction this morning or this afternoon between Jesus being first and Jesus being central, two different things. Let me show you. If Jesus is first, and, and let me just say, most of us in this room do this. If Jesus is first, what we do is we say, all right, so there's Jesus, and then uh, what else is on my list besides the Jesus thing? So I got Jesus, and then I got, you know, my, my occupation or my career. And then after that, uh, th there's maybe my degree. And then after that, you know, my relationship, you know, that's something I got to work on. Um, yeah, whatever. Help me out, baby. So Jesus, career, degree, relationship. Uh, what, what else is there? Then, oh, oh man, my finances, right? Finances are, are serious. So I, I got to work on So what we do is we work this list out. I'm sorry you can't see it over there. What we do is we work this list out. But here's the problem with this list. If we're going off a list-based system, we can do our Jesus thing, check him off, and keep moving with the list. So here's what the difference between first and central. Jesus is a check off the list, and then I do my career, my degree, my relationship, my finances, and I keep working the list. I want to push us to thinking differently. Do not think Jesus is first. We say he's central. So what does that mean? That means my list is, looks a little different. This is my list. If Jesus is central, he's in the middle of the list. And from Jesus is how I do my work. From Jesus is how I do family life. From Jesus is how I do my relationship, and so on and so on and so on. And so Jesus cannot be first because he's a check. He has to be central. And so our, one of our, our beliefs here is the centrality of Jesus Christ. Our next belief is the Holy Scriptures. I think you guys would agree that we are passionate about the Scriptures. We are so passionate about the Scriptures that I don't know if you know this, but underneath this paint, up here underneath the paint, right up here, all around, we tried to write scriptures all over the place before we actually started painting and laying carpet. In fact, right here is Psalms 119, longest chapter in Psalms. And we do that because we want to show like a tangible way that the scriptures is final arbiter in this room. So we focus on the Holy Scriptures. We do not think that some of it is authoritative and some of it's not. Every period, every comma is inspired by the Lord. So we're going to preach all that, the, that the, the scriptures have to say, all 66 books. We believe in salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. What do I mean? We do not subscribe to a works-based salvation. We do not believe that you are in heaven because you worked and because you're such a good person. We believe that our righteousness is a filthy rag. What does that mean? I got to bank on grace. I got to bank on faith alone, and I got to bank on Christ alone. Gospel priority, we believe in. All right, let me talk a little bit about Brooklyn. Our target area is Bedford-Stuyvesant. Let me just say, when I say that, what do I mean by that is when we walk out the doors of our church, where we do ministry is Bed-Stuy, specifically the 11216 zip code, which is where you are. We believe that this is our Jerusalem, but we do not think that it should stay here in Bed-Stuy. It must spread. Just as the gospel spread, we must see the gospel spread from this location and on to other parts. This is not Epiphany Church of Bed-Stuy. It's Epiphany Church of Brooklyn because we want to see the gospel reach all. You know, there's 2.6 million people in Brooklyn. Like, my prayer is that God would save 2.6 million people. Like, I, I'm just like, you know, I'm a little charismatic. I just think he can do it. And so I want to pray for every single lost person. That doesn't mean every lost pe person must come to Epiphany Church. That means they must spread out through other faithful churches, but I want to see the gospel reach people. And so our target area is Bed-Stuy, uh, but we believe that the Lord is working beyond just Bed-Stuy. Population here in, in, in uh, Bed-Stuy is uh, 155,000, around 155,000, which is a lot. You know, I think sometimes we can look at that number and be like, that's not that much. But think of it this way. Bed-Stuy is only 2.7 square miles. 
You take 150 people and you spread them out through 150, uh, uh, you spread out 155 people through 2.7 square miles. That's almost 35 to 40,000 people per square mile, which means you could jump on the train and, and, and go one stop to Utica and you've passed 40,000 people. Which means that the gospel, if we're serious about lost people meeting Jesus, the work has to go beyond just Fulton Street. It has to go out into the rest of Bed-Stuy. Ethnic makeup of Bed-Stuy, 65% black, which is uh, one of the reasons we planned it here, because we wanted to see an, uh, an under-engaged minority group reached with the gospel message. So 65% uh, black, that's not the exclusion, at the exclusion of everybody else. 20% Hispanic. 11% white, and these numbers are changing because of gentrification, which I would say, let's embrace, not push against, because this is God's world, and he can change whatever he wants to change. Uh, Asians, 2%, uh, 2% Asians, 2% other. Bed-Stuy, population by age. I, I really want to expand our thinking here. 25% of the population is between these ages, 0 to 17. Uh, 18 to 44 is, uh, makes up 12 and, and 32%. And let me just say something. If you were here at our first vision night, one of the things we pushed, I pushed hard to you guys, is that is our target. And the reason that's our tar target, first of all, they're classified as the hardest to reach, anywhere between 18 and 44. And so we wanted to be a church, and thank God he's done that. But can we all agree a room full of young people with no elderly wisdom? It's a little, it's a little weird. Like when I, read, when I read Titus chapter 2 and it says older women teach the younger women, if we're a bunch of young people, where's the older women and the older men that are teaching us? So we need to be a church. We need some salt and pepper in this church. And not just salt and pepper just to say I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm above that age range, but, but we need salt and pepper that looks at their life as an investment into the young people. Like, that's how I want to go, man. Like, when the Lord takes me out of here, I want to, man, prayerfully, you know, the Lord will give me uh, 30 years at, at pastoring here, and I can pass this church on to some young whippersnapper that think he know everything. You know, I can pass the church on, then I can sit back as a sage and invest my life into the younger generation. So we need more older, uh, more older saints here. And so what I would say is that was our target, but I want to expand our thinking to that being our target. Our target needs to be 18 to 64, and that doesn't mean we don't care about the toddlers and teenagers, and that doesn't mean we don't care about the elderly. That just means that needs to be our focus because that makes up a huge percentage of the population. Finances. I'm going to give a quick overview here. Uh, we'll go deeper in our members' meeting, uh, but I want to give you a quick overview. The reason is because you have been a very generous church. You just have. You have been faithful at giving. As we talked last week about the widow giving her, her two little copper coins and how the Lord, like, really saw that as more of a blessing than the rich giving. Like, that's been this room. And so here, here's what we did last year with our finances. In, 2000, in, in 2017, you brought in here in this room over $200,000 last year. That is a big deal for a church plan. Can we give the Lord praise for that? The Lord moved on your, your hearts to be generous, and I'm grateful for that. Now, I've also told you that we are not a church that just takes in money, but we actually give back out. So I said 11%, if you were here last week, I said 11% of what we bring into this room goes back out to support other churches. Here's how we do that. This is what you've given last year to uh, our partners. You've sent out $22,000 in this room. Between the two services, we've collected over $200,000. we have sent out $22,000. And that is a big deal that needs to be celebrated. But I want to push us a little bit because if that is what we got last year, I think God can help us to be more generous this year. Again, it ain't for me. It's not. It's for ministry. It's for mission. It's for us to reach Bed-Stuy, not just here, but 11% is hitting Cape Town. It's hitting other parts of the world. It's hitting Paris. Like, do you know our church is a part of giving to other churches that are outside of here in Bed-Stuy? And so 11% of what you give goes back out. Here's our goal for 2018, to raise between 250 and 275,000 uh, next year. It's doable. It's attainable. And I, I want us to be praying about this and being sacrificial with our giving. 
All right, 2017 highlights. Rock the Park. We did Rock the Park last year. It was a good time. Amen. Let's thank God for Rock the Park. Some of you are sitting in this room right now because of the impact of Rock the Park. It's crazy. We were out flipping burgers and giving out hot dogs, and the Lord used that to interact with the community in such a way that people have went through Covenant Community class since then that came because of this day. Amazing. And so we will focus on Rock the Park again uh, this year. Uh, Vacation Bible School, uh, this was a great time. I will say this. I think we, over, we stretched ourselves a little too much last year when we did Vacation Bible School. I'm not taking anything away from it. It was a great time. The kids were amazing. Uh, the volunteers were amazing. But one of the things that happens with ministry is if you do too many missions, you're, not, you're, you're spreading out your energy and your resources. And so we need to streamline how we do ministry. And so we won't be doing Vacation Bible School again this year. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And I'll, I'll go through that uh, in a few minutes. First Peter, we went through the entire book of First Peter. I don't know if you know this, but we spent 10 months in the book of First Peter. Uh, next month, we are starting the book of Habakkuk. Well, it'll be a little bit shorter, but we're going to spend time. That's the bread and butter of this church. We are serious about the Bible so much that we want to walk through all that the scriptures have to say. So we pick books of the Bible and just walk through them every single week. And so we did that last year. We started, I think, in February. We ended uh, in uh, October, November, we ended our First Peter series right before Thanksgiving. Prayer walks. Uh, this is the 79th Street uh, precinct on 79th Street precinct on Tompkins, and you know we we just got in front of the precinct and began to pray. The, the cops were coming out trying to figure out what we was doing, and you know we was like we, we're praying for you, we're praying for your families, we're praying for the work that you do here, and they were encouraged by that. So we'll do more prayer walks this year. We have to wait until, you know, I, I care about you, so I don't want you to freeze to death. So we're going to wait a little bit until the spring, and then we'll get back out and do some more prayer walks. Uh, and, and we pray for more than just the precinct. We pray for the schools. We walk by houses and just pray that the Lord would save everybody on the block. And so uh, please join us in our next prayer walk. Harvesters Outreach. I mean, Lanisha and Timmy look serious right there. Our Harvesters Outreach is something that we do, uh, we try to do it at least two times a month where we set up uh, a table right in the front on a Sunday morning. We set up a table and, you know, never underestimate the power of foot traffic. You know how many people walk by this building in a day? And so we set up tables for an hour and we just engage people and we share the gospel. And here, once again, people have committed to the church and have met Jesus because the Harvesters team was out there sharing the gospel. And they also got pushback. They also got arguments, and they also got people that were hostile to the gospel, and that's okay. That's uh, very biblical, and so uh, we try our best to, uh, to get out on the block. You know, downstairs is a Caribbean restaurant now. I don't know if y'all know that, but it hasn't opened yet, but they're, they're starting to, the food better be right. I told the owner. I did. I'm looking out for you. I told the owner, I said, the food got to be right. And so anyway, so um, we won't be able to set up right in front, but we'll still nevertheless be out on, uh, on our block right in front doing something. So Friendsgiving, uh, man, our Friendsgiving was a great time of us just having community getting together. Uh, you guys can cook too, man. We had all day. We're talking about ethnic diversity. It showed up that day. It was amazing food. So thank God for you. And as a bonus, we had Britney Spears come to our fr Friendsgiving. I don't know if y'all know that. In fact, I got footage of Britney Spears. Here it is. There she is. Y'all make some noise for Tracy, y'all, in the corner. Beyonce slash Britney Spears. <laughs> Amen. All right. Baptisms. We, uh, we baptized nine people last year. Can we thank God for our baptisms? And so we, we are, my, pray, my prayer is that the Lord would exceed that number in a great way this year, that we, as we talk about conversions, that more people would commit to Jesus and be baptized. And so uh, baptisms is something we take very serious here. All right, the employee of the year. We have an employee of the year. And there he is. And it was Gabe's birthday yesterday, y'all. He's the employee of the year because he's the only employee. I just want to put that out there. 
But if y'all can tell how he grew up, look at his little beard now. And <laughs> hashtag beard gang. All right, anyway, so thank God for, for Gabe. Let, let me just quickly say a, a word about Gabe because I think, you know, we see him running around. We always see him doing stuff. And, you know, sometimes I don't think you know how much he does as an operations manager. He does a lot at this church. Uh, and he does a lot behind the scenes that nobody would ever know. And I get to watch him, like, really genuinely care for the church. And so when you guys see him walking around, make sure you say thank you to Gabe for the work that he does because he does an amazing job. We love you, Gabe. Well, we moved to two services in October. Uh, the Lord has been so faithful to, to help us to expand and to grow. And so we sensed pretty early on that we, we needed to make sure that we provided more space. And one of the things, man, I don't know if y'all know this, but every time we open up seats, the Lord fills them. I mean, every time, all the way back from our first space to the Voodoo Lounge. How many remember the Voodoo Lounge? You remember we used to sweep up Ciroc bottles. It was a, a huge bar. We used to put it on wheels and wheel it out every single morning. We, you know, we was trying to do some serious ministry in that place, and we outgrew it, and so we know we needed another space, and we came here, and then uh, we outgrew one service, and then we moved to two services. If you look around this room now, you'll see that there is probably a need for more services. Uh, I know the volunteers is like, ah, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> But nevertheless, it goes back to every time we open up seats, the Lord fills them. But, but let me just say, you know, one of the things I don't want to be is a church that just grows like a mile wide but an inch deep. I want us, as we continue to grow in, in number, I want us to go deeper spiritually. I'm serious. I want us to be serious, so serious that it's not just like, man, we're just coming in and we're growing. No, we're, we're actually, you know, caring and, and loving Jesus and loving each other more. So I want us to continue to grow, uh, not just in number. So uh, more to come on, that, on, on these two services. Let me talk to you about our average attendance uh, because I think this is amazing. If you look at 2017, uh, January of 2017, and look up until now, I want to show you percentage-wise how much we've grown. January uh, 2017, we were averaging 82 adults and eight kids. January of 2018, we're averaging 192 adults and 16 kids. That is a 134% increase in one year. Now, this, this is, you know, this is huge because just think of this with me. If we've grown uh, since January of last year, 134%, if we grow another year at 134%, that's almost 500 people. Can, can you agree that we cannot fit 500 people in this room? So that means we need at least four or five services or another space. Somebody said another space. <laughs> Whatever. Then y'all need to make sure that y'all are hitting this. Y'all need to be like this. Anyway, because y'all know rent is, you, you know, it's ungodly here. It just doesn't make sense. Anyway, I praise God for, for, for what he's doing. And, and, you know, one of the things I love is our church is 92% millennial. Like, we have young people that are committing to coming to a church that is serious about the Bible and serious about Jesus. And I love that. And so praise God for the growth. Uh, this is almost Nehemiah 2 where Nehemiah says the good hand of the Lord is on us. And I want us to rest in what the Lord is doing. All right, 2018 vision. Here's some things that I, I want you to think about. Write them down. Take a picture, uh, whatever you need to do. Some things I want us to think about. We need to grow in our discipleship. Let me say that again. We need to grow in our discipleship. Whenever someone meets Jesus, they never start out mature. I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care how spiritually mature you are. You were immature when you first met the Lord. And so we need mature believers to walk alongside of less, uh, the, those who are less mature and see them to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And then they, in turn, disciple another group. And then they, in turn, disciple another group. And we'll have more, uh, we'll have some classes on what discipleship is because I think some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, and so uh, there'll be more to come on it, but we need, in 2018, we have, not even like, we, we have to grow in our discipleship. Racial awareness, unity, and I, I put in parentheses unity because when it comes to racial, uh, racial awareness, you can be aware but not unified. You can be aware and very, very disconnected. And so what I want us to do as a church, we have a unique opportunity because we are a very diverse church. We have a unique opportunity to show what unity looks like. And let me just say across the board, because of especially here in the U.S., because of some of the history of Christianity here in the U.S., there's 
there's a division between the church. So we need to attack this uh, racial unity and celebrate our differences. Psalms 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Racial unity doesn't mean colorblind. Can I say that again? It does not mean colorblind. That does not mean we walk in and be like, everybody, I don't see no differences. We're different. And so because we're different, we have to embrace the different ethnicities and we have to grow in our unity. And so racial awareness, unity, I want to make sure we're we're plugging along that um, through our DNA groups, our small groups, the relationships you have. Push hard against, you know, culturally what you grew, how you grew up and try to learn somebody else. We're appointing deacons in March. Can we thank God for that? As we talked about how the church uh, grew, in not just, our, uh, not just Acts chapter 13, where we were today, but when you look at the growth of the church and the expansion of the church in, in, um, in the book of Acts, you'll notice that they were growing so much that the needs became so much for the leaders, the elders of the church, that they said, man, we got to have, de- we got to put deacons in place. So Acts chapter 6, they put seven uh, people, in pl- seven men in place in order to see the church continue to thrive. And so what we're doing is we have seven, that, uh, seven people that we're going to present to you soon that are already committed, have been committed, already doing the work of a deacon. And we're just going to streamline what that looks like. So we're going to ordain seven deacons here in March, not just March, but our anniversary. So it's going to be a a great Sunday. So please be here. Strengthen our community. How do we do that? We need to strengthen our DNA groups. If you don't know what DNA groups is, it's discipleship, nurture, accountability. It is how uh, we see community really form here. And so we don't believe that anybody trusts Jesus and is isolated. Everybody trusts Jesus. And then they get they work out what we would call the one another's of Scripture. They work out and they do life together. And so our hope is to see that really strengthened here. Nobody should be isolated. No, you, like there's no excuse. There's too many of us here. So let's make sure we're, we're going deeper in our DNA groups, our small groups. We want to strengthen those. Um, we've been getting a, a, I mean, there's a, a bunch of people that come from right outside of New York at, in the northern part of Jersey, and they've been begging for a small group. In 2018, we're going to put a small group in, uh, in Jersey. Somebody should say Amen. <laughs> And because of that 134, that 134% growth, we need to have more small groups here in Brooklyn as well. So we're going to, you know, actively be seeking that out. And then we want to go deeper with how we do small groups. So please, be patient with us. More to come on that. Our Wednesday night prayer and Bible studies, I was very encouraged this past Wednesday walking in here and seeing the room filled with people on their knees and praying. And some people were sitting and just like we were like calling out to the Lord and uh, and then we had a time of worship, and we got deep into the Bible. So please, our, our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study, we only do like nine or ten a year because of some of the holidays. So please, if you can be here, be here. This is a great time for us to go deeper in the Word. Space issues, I kind of talked about it, but I, I'm so serious when I say I need you guys to commit space to prayer. Really, like the Lord owns everything. He could do whatever he wants to do. Uh, but, you know, it's becoming a, a it's becoming hard to do ministry in this room, not just in this room, but we pack the kids in those kids rooms. And if you look in there, we're doing the best we can. It's not big rooms, but we pack our kids in there and we're trying to do ministry as best as we can. Pray for our space issues. I don't know what the Lord is going to do. My prayer. Can I just let you in on it? That the Lord be like, here's a building. It's free. Take it. Don't act like the Lord can't do that. That's my goal right there. And I said I'm a little charismatic. If you come to me, I'll tell you the builders I've been walking around and just put my hands on and praying. <laughs> I got some spaces in mind, so uh, be praying for our space issues. We really want to continue to do ministry, and we want to do it well, and so we want to have more room in order to do that. Park party outreach, again, we've spread ourselves last year, so we're only going to do one outreach, major outreach. We'll do some minor ones. Uh, by the way, you know, prayer walking and uh, the harvesters being outside, those are outreaches, and they're, they're cheap. This isn't cheap. So you guys gave to it last year. This one we're going to pour a little money into and make sure we're doing, uh, we're in the community doing something uh, robust this year. Beco- become more internally financially stable. I'm all, almost done, guys. Give me a few more minutes. Become more internally financially stable. As a church plant, what happens is a church plant is like an like a infant. You know, when, when it's first born, it's 100% dependent on somebody else. And so our church, when we first planted the church, 
we had outside support, and we still do, that poured into our, before anybody here was giving, we had outside support that bought into the vision here that has been pouring into our church. Mike, raise your hand, brother. Mike, uh, this is my boy from Mosaic. He's on our management team. Can we thank God for Mike? And so, you know, we want to become more financially stable. Again, I would love to get to the place where we're 100% supported from the inside so that we can do more ministry here in Bed-Stuy and abroad. All right, strategic partners is my last slide here. Here's our strategic partners. Some of you may already know. Some of you may not know. We're part of a church plant network called Acts 29. Acts 29 is a church, uh, is a church plant network that believes in churches planting churches. So not a church being planted and then doing nothing and becoming isolated and, and, and insolent. No, we are going to be planting other churches at some point. And X29 is going to help us do that. Orchard Group, uh, they have been planting churches since 1949. Uh, our management team, even though we don't have an elder board, our provisional elder board is through our management team. We get that through Orchard Group. North American Mission Board, uh, same thing. All three of these are faithful to planting churches. And Epiphany Fellowship, uh, Epiphany Fellowship Church, they are in Philadelphia. That is our sending church, Dr. Eric Mason. That's where I did my residency. That's where I was a member. Uh, and that is what we would call our mother church. And so uh, this is the vision. Can we thank God for all that he has done? Thank you, guys, for your patience. Uh, let's do this. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll take communion. If you don't have to leave, take communion with us, and then we'll, we'll let you go. Father, I thank you so much for all that you have done um, through this church, through the people that make up this church. Thank you that Jesus is central here. Thank you that we don't, um, we don't sus subscribe to uh, opinion and to our own thoughts, but we look into the Word of God and see, uh, as we used to say, what would Jesus do? So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the growth that has happened here. I thank you for the givers, and I thank you for all of those that volunteer here. And just thank you, Lord. You've been gracious to us. And I pray that as we look to 2018 or as we're in 2018, look forward to what else you will do. I pray that you would blow our minds. I pray that Jesus would be proclaimed in such a way that we legitimately don't have enough water to baptize people. We don't have enough seats to, to fit people. That's my goal. That's my prayer, Lord, is that you would just not just add to the church here through transfer growth, but that you would genuinely cause blinded eyes to be open to the gospel, to dead hearts to be made alive to Jesus Christ. Thank you for Acts 13 and all that you've done through the Antioch Church. Thank you for our connection here in this room because of that Holy Spirit moving. Praise you and we give you all glory and we submit the rest of this year to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.